0: I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. According to a YouGov survey for Akamai, four in five UK adults use online banking services at least once a week, and more than half of them also reported receiving scam attempts via email or SMS text, also at least once a week. That's a rather depressing number. Let's investigate it with Richard Mears, Director of Security and Technology Strategy for Akamai Technologies. It is a depressing number, Richard.
1: Well, I do believe so. And I think a lot of it is due to the fact that the amount of the public that is using online services from financial services, they're a prime target for scammers, for criminals who want to take advantage of them. Most of the victims are becoming aware of common and old style attack vectors, but beginning to see now a lot of new and more advanced attacks that are really beginning to take advantage of the current situation that we're in and the lack of awareness of of how the attack vectors have changed.
0: First of all, I'm going to pull you up straight away and say you're using a phrase there that the average man or woman in the street would not recognise, attack vector. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) You know what you're talking about. Most of our audience will know what we're talking about. But this is something that is part and parcel of perhaps the fact that there needs to be more general financial education for people in terms of the threats they face.
1: To that effect, I thought there was a a lot of the banks now are beginning to do a lot more public facing communications around how they would like uh, their users, their consumers to work with them and what to be aware of in terms of possible scam attempts. I recently received an email from a very large online bank that I do have an account with, and they sent me an email because we're coming up to Valentine's Day, and it warned me to be aware of potential romance scams. Now, I'm not quite sure if I'm In the correct demographic for that. Um, Maybe they'd have sent it out to everybody. But I thought it was quite clever in the sense that they, they were aware of the fact that February 14th is a call to action. It's a very popular date and that romance scams are a very common way of getting money sent legitimately, as in it's a legitimate attempt by one person to send money to another. And it's very difficult for organizations to protect or banks to protect themselves, an automated push fraud, which I think is that uh, the terminology for that is a, a huge amount, I think something like 700,000 pounds per day is lost to UK uh, financial, financials relating to, to automatic push fraud.
0: I think maybe we've already touched on a couple of these, but what are some of the key learnings from the last year for financial services organisations?
1: As everybody has been sort of working from home for obvious reasons, many people will have created lots of new online accounts, and they are becoming increasingly targeted by scammers because they have more online accounts, they have similar passwords, they may not be as inventive with their passwords as they may have done. The majority of the financial institutions will will do some sort of multi-factor authentication, But as we've seen, multi-factor authentication is not necessarily the panacea that we see it uh, for for all organizations. There was a a famous hack at Twitter a couple of years ago where multi-factor authentication was successfully bypassed. And we're seeing a lot of scams now that are replicating legitimate banks' websites. So what happens is a scammer will rip off a legitimate website, and they will put it somewhere else. They will then send a law into a consumer to get them to go to this phishing site. Now, this phishing site will look identical. It will ask for uh, your username and your password. But as we said, most banks, they have some form of multi-factor authentication, be it something, maybe an SMS, or it'll be a, a code generated on your phone. But what then happens is that, process is it It intercepts, the phishing site intercepts your username and your password, and then it'll talk back to the legitimate website and get it to generate the MFA. And then you'll put that MFA token into the phishing website, and the attacker now has access to your website. And we saw, we had a very large report in our state of the internet documentation last year, where we did a, a report on crypto. Who was is a threat actor, and had produced this phishing kit that would be used by multiple organizations, and it had targeted like over eleven financial brands, mainly in the UK and Ireland, specifically leveraging the fact that it was able to bypass MFA by using these fake phishing sites that looked like legitimate website. But it was able to get past that, and able to get consumers to believe they're interacting with the
0: actual website.
1: Once they have, obviously, once the criminals have those that information, they're into your live session and they can make any payments they want.
0: So this obviously is of concern. We need to be more conscious, both institutions and customers, individual and corporate, about cybersecurity. How do we make cybersecurity a competitive differentiator for a financial services institution? Because it sounds like it should be.
1: Absolutely. And I think that any element when you're working with a consumer, any situation where you can have a touch point where you can work to build trust is always going to be a benefit for for any particular brand, be they financial services or be they uh, standard e-commerce or or any sort of uh, vertical. But the focus, I think, for financial services, they need to show that they have your back from a consumer's perspective. Consumers need to realize that the bank is working in their best instances. And I think some of the data that we had from that report, where the statistics were you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, where you sort of said that 58% of the British public reported receiving those scam attempts, but 67% expect their bank to foot the bill for successful scams. Regardless of the amount lost,
0: so is that also regardless of whose fault it is?
1: Yes, that's the thing. That's the thing. The people, the the customers now believe that the banks are able to protect them. They're able to sort of say, "Okay, you have the uh, the banks will protect me. They're going to pay me back if something is lost through fraud." And this is why we talked about that romance scam earlier on. People need to be aware of this. Because they think, okay, well, if, if I have been conned, then it really should be up to the bank to protect me from that. And that degree of, of assumption is, is also a little bit of a maybe a bit of a concern from the bank perspective, because they really need to get the education out to the consumers, warning about the fraud. That, that figure we talked about of 700000 pounds a day from automated push fraud is due to scammers targeting individuals and getting them to make that push payment saying to for a romance scam or you know you need to give me five thousand pounds so i can return your inheritance of half a million and those all those those classic scams from all those years ago but those automatic push fraud is, is very very common and un- making the, the the consumers aware is really really important and any way that the banks can do that they can make it compelling and, and original and really improve the And i think That we're aware that the amount of scams that happened in the last couple of years outside of the financial institutions. I mean, COVID was a classic case where users aren't, when, when they're presented with data and presented with emails and presented with SMS or smishing or emails that aren't from a normal source, they're very easily scammed. We saw a plethora of attacks from COVID. COVID-related phishing attacks, whether it's for face masks or vaccines, because people didn't know what an email from the government looked like prior to COVID. Nobody knew what an SMS from the government looked like. Nobody knew what an email looked like, what an email from the government would look like. So this took advantage of people's unfamiliarity with that process. And I think as most, a lot of organisations, a lot of users have gone online, maybe people have been doing mobile banking a lot more than they have done in the past. They may not be as familiar with that banking process. So making them familiar, making them aware what to expect
0: is really important. That's a job of education, as I said earlier. How do we make the institutions more resilient as we move forward? How can, particularly from the perspective I'm looking at it from, how can the banks and the financial services institutions become more cyber resilient?
1: Yeah, well, cyber resilience is a, a very broad scope, I think we can agree on. I think the standard frameworks, which I think most of the banks will be looking to uh, to work with, things like the, the NCSC cyber assessment framework is a common uh, one that organisations will work with when they're looking to assess what is their, their risk You know, what is their risk in terms of what happens if we are breached? What is our risk of how do we inform our consumers? What is our risk of our exposure? And they will look that across their entire estate, looking at where their individual risks are. And then you obviously need to then look at how you communicate that risk. And a lot of people will use, say, something like Gartner's prepare, prevent, detect, remediate, recover, to try and sort of say, look, these are the sections we need to work with to ensure that we are protected or we have the right process in place to detect any potential incursions into our network, but also be able to remediate and recover. And I think the way we are going now is we're almost getting to a point where we need to assume breach. We need to assume that we are breached. The reason being is that Most organizations now have huge networks spread across a plethora of different platforms with different levels of operating systems, with different levels of security. So whereas we're trying to put in place a comprehensive security process, there's always going to be an opportunity for organizations to to be breached in some way. And I think one of the key things organizations need to look at is how can they mitigate that and minimize the potential effect. And doing that through tools where you're able to understand your entire estate. What is every single asset you have in your network and what's communicating with what and how is that communicating? And be able to visualize and comprehend that as easily as possible so that you can be able to protect yourselves against a log forge uh, incident where you're potentially vulnerable. So you're able to say, okay, we have got had a breach. Because of a uh, a user's machine was compromised and they were on the VPN, but we could see what they accessed and we could ring fence that particular asset and close it down and prevent uh, any potential uh, sort of migration. Will you reduce the blast radius of that impact?
0: Well, it always used to be said that there are two types of um, corporate organization, those that have been hacked and those that don't know they've been hacked.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, probably very accurate, yes. And when you look at the amount of days that uh, common attackers are are inside an organisation before that organisation actually realises it, you know, it's in the several hundred days that organisations are being compromised often before they actually figure it out. So I think that holds very true.
0: Is there anything that we can end on that's an uplifting note?
1: Well... You know, I, I think that organisations now, certainly as we look towards 2022, 2023, I think users are becoming a lot more astute. The consumer is becoming more astute in terms of how they interact with organisations. I think with financial services, they want to be comforted by security. So when your bank rings you up and says, you just made a payment, should you have made that payment? That's not, that that's a good thing that gives the consumer that, that warm fuzzy feeling that they're being protected by their bank and i think that that's a good thing but i think it's also important that we educate the consumers to just to be aware of things that are, of the the romance scams that we talked about and all the other different types of scams where people are being targeted at. so you know, the, the crypto threat that we talked about before but I think as we move forward into 2022 and 2023, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to look at how we can clean up technical debt and how we can look at asset management and how we can look at what we call uh, north, south, and east, west traversals through networks. And I think that process, which is all really sort of front ending, that's all really around this sort of the prepare and prevent part. Is going to put our organisations in a lot stronger, a lot more fitter, a lot more agile position to be able to react to threats that we see in the future. Because it's important now that we, we, we add to the fact that we can protect ourselves from a lot of the attacks, but there's always going to be one or two vectors that we can't see. and Being able to have the visibility into our networks, understand every single component with our network with ease, allows us to quickly mitigate uh, and, re- and recover from that.
0: Thank you very much, Richard Mears, Director of Security and Technology Strategy for Akamai Technologies.